Hey guys, it's Andrew, and if you've been following our podcast for a while now, you may be aware that I've been working on a feature film that I wrote and directed last fall called An Angry Boy. It's a revenge thriller about a teenager who goes on the hunt for a sadistic cult, so I think it's right up your alley if you like our content. I'll keep it short right now, because I know you want to get to the podcast, and there's more information over on our Kickstarter page, but we have some awesome rewards over there, like getting your name on a Scary Mysteries video, being invited to the online world premiere, which will be hosted by me, and is only available through Kickstarter, and it will be where you can see the movie months before it's released worldwide. There's also posters, deleted scenes, signed scripts, and a chance to get your name in the actual credits of the movie itself. So if you've enjoyed the content that we've put out over the years, then please do consider helping us out. If you want to see some of the movie, rewards, and more info about it, then please visit the Kickstarter link in the description. Thank you guys so much. And now, enjoy the episode. Those living in the congested cities of the Northeast know that if they wish to take a break from their busy lives in order to commune with nature a bit, all they have to do is head on up to the great state of New Hampshire. Their motto there is live free or die, and the state offers all sorts of adventures and crisp mountain air. But as much as we may adore the Granite State, there are still some things that have happened there that may prompt you to reconsider a visit. Here are five terrifying unsolved cold cases in New Hampshire. Number five, suspicious death of David Braley. One of the most interesting spots to visit in Concord, New Hampshire, is a decades-old nightclub called Take 5 Music Hall. Opened in January of 1970, Take 5 has hosted some of the greatest performances that the county has ever seen. But beyond its illustrious reputation, therein lies a secret that not many people know about. For several months, the family, friends, and loved ones of David Braley had been on the lookout for his return. The 21-year-old had gone missing, and no one had any idea where he'd been after he was last seen alive at the Take 5 Music Hall nightclub on November 10, 1989. Investigations were made, but the apparent lack of leads and information led authorities to set aside the case. What everyone feared eventually transpired the following year. On March 18, 1990, police recovered a lifeless human body found drifting along the Merrimack River in Manchester. Ultimately, they confirmed that these remains belonged to Braley, and the findings suggested that the young man could have been involved in an altercation that took place behind the club. An autopsy report cited numerous signs indicating that the victim had been badly beaten Officials had all the reason to believe that the body was later dumped into the river. But no one had a clue as to who Braley could have had a conflict with. Detectives talked to almost everyone who was there that night, and it was impossible for them to determine if these same people were perhaps the ones responsible for his untimely demise. Moreover, they couldn't even be sure if he was possibly the target of a random killing. Ultimately, police couldn't rule the case as a homicide, although the circumstances surrounding the man's death 
strongly suggests that it was. Braley's family were left with nothing but a cold trail of questions that now, for more than three decades, have remained unanswered. Number four, brutal death of Sylvia Gray. By definition, a case of any kind becomes cold when all investigative leads are exhausted and it remains unsolved after a period of at least three years. From time to time, cold cases do get reviewed should there be any developments that arise. The introduction of newer forensic technology could prompt investigators to check in on the matter. And several cold cases were solved this way, but unfortunately, there are those that not even the advent of new forensic science nor new leads could possibly solve. Take, for example, the case of the brutal slaying of Sylvia Gray. On May 30, 1982, the 76-year-old woman was found dead near the woods close to her home in Plainfield, New Hampshire. The police report cited that the autopsy done on the corpse revealed that the septuagenarian had been brutally beaten and then stabbed to death. For a crime as grisly as this, it's quite surprising that there's only but a few pieces of information drawn out from the investigation. In the end, No one had any idea on the circumstances that directly led to this woman's demise. There was a lack of concrete details that made it difficult to determine if Gray was the victim of a random killing, a botched robbery, or perhaps a personalized murder. Since there's only but a handful of facts provided on this case, it's impossible to confirm if the police had persons of interest, let alone suspects, to look out for. And so, for more than 40 years, the Sylvia Gray murder case has not moved a single inch. Considering this, it's hard to say if there's still any hope that Gray's death will finally be given justice. Most likely, it'll just be another cold case that sits in the files, unsolved for the rest of time. Number 3. Murders of Stella Bolton and James Moore The city of Portsmouth is one of the more populated towns in all of New Hampshire. Like New York or Los Angeles, this city is home to all sorts of people, regardless of racial or cultural backgrounds, and among them was Stella Bolton, a 68-year-old woman who hailed from Trinidad. Despite being foreign, the Trinidadian was dearly loved by all the people in her community. She loved to bake cookies for everyone in her neighborhood, and it's no wonder that she was best remembered as everyone's grandmother. The elderly woman also loved to hang around and play bingo at her home on 74 Rock Hill Avenue, which she shared with her longtime friend, a retired Navy veteran named J.J. Moore. Like Stella, the 73-year-old veteran was also popular in the community for his generosity and upbeat spirit. Not once did that man fail to greet anyone who passed by his house. Despite living together, those who knew the two swore that they weren't in a romantic relationship. It was said that J.J. and Stella's husband were good friends. When Mr. Bolton died, the ex-Navyman and the woman moved in together in this neighborhood known as Mariner's Village. 
Considering how great these people were, no one had ever expected that something bad would actually happen to them. But in the early morning of February 16, 1991, the entire neighborhood of Mariner's Village was woke up by a fire alarm. Around two dozen firefighters battled flames for hours. Much to everyone's horror, they found out that the fire came from Stella and JJ's bungalow. It was badly burned down, and out of that debris and ash, authorities found two bodies. The identification of the remains unfortunately revealed that they belonged to Stella and JJ, and it further terrified the people of Mariner's Village when they found out that the two didn't just perish in that fire. Apparently, findings of the autopsy indicated that the pair had incurred several stab wounds on their bodies. Investigators were quick to surmise that the fire was no mere accident, but actually arson. Reports suggested that whoever murdered the victims tried to cover up the crimes by setting the house on fire. They were, however, unsuccessful in their attempt. There was a lack of leads that stumped police, which hindered them from making any progress. And really, there was only one major development that happened in this cold case, when, in 2011, reports said that a suspected murder weapon was found by a boy near the house. Still, though, nothing substantial came out of that that could have led police to make an arrest. While it was very unlikely, detectives believed that the murders were committed by locals, perhaps even those who personally knew the pair. To this day, though, no one has any idea what could be the motive for the murder, It's also a big mystery as to who could be these heartless perpetrators committing such a terrible crime. These two people who probably had done nothing but goodness to others their entire lives. Number 2. Homicide of David Wheelock Especially for people with family and children, nothing brings more relief when you know that you are living in a place where it's peaceful and quiet. And for the residents of Keene in New Hampshire, the serenity they so enjoyed was finally broken with one tragic incident. It all began on the night of December 21, 2013, when neighbors heard three loud gunshots coming from a house on Pearl Street in Keene. The victim was David E. Wheelock, who was one of the two residents of the aforementioned property. Despite the many witnesses who claimed to have been made aware of the shooting, local law enforcement still couldn't determine if the homicide was carried out by more than one person. There's also the question whether the 48-year-old was the intended target or just a victim of a random crime, the latter of which was highly unlikely. Back in October of 2005, Wheelock had been convicted on 28 counts of child pornography. His name had since been on the watch list of the New Hampshire Department of Safety's sex offender registry. During an interview, Pearl Street residents said they only had limited interactions with the deceased, who was confined to a wheelchair most of his adult life due to multiple sclerosis. If remembered, Wheelock had a housemaid who was identified as Nicholas Cole. The 26-year-old himself had several run-ins with the law, and in 2012, the man was convicted of two felony counts of cruelty to animals. In March and May of that year, Cole was caught performing sexual acts on a German shepherd 
and a yellow Labrador Retriever. Court affidavits reveal that the accused and Wheelock created accounts on social media where they would talk with others who shared the same interests on bestiality and sexual contact with animals. Interestingly, a report from the Citizens for Criminal Justice Reform in New Hampshire mentioned a serial killer who had been targeting individuals whose names appear on the state's registry of criminals. The same article said that this alleged murderer has supposedly struck twice, killing one man and severely injuring another. The public believed Wheelock was the one that got killed while the other was from Westmoreland. The latter, a registered sex offender as well, was beaten so violently in the face that he needed reconstructive surgery. Authorities are considering the theory that Wheelock's offender status made him a target. Despite this lead, though, they still can't make an arrest in connection with his death. So, as of now, keen residents are weary that this so-called vigilante might carry out another extrajudicial killing in what was once considered a safe haven. Number 1. Murder of Aline Korchesny On October 18, 1987, the body of Aileen Korchesny was discovered near the Spalding Turnpike outside the town of Rochester, New Hampshire. The ensuing investigation revealed that the divorced mother of three had been strangled to death. She had a large gash over her right eye, along with numerous contusions to her head and neck. Clues found at the crime scene included tire tracks near her body, as well as a set of footprints. The good news is, it didn't take long for police to find their suspect. Six months after the discovery of the murder, they arrested the man whom the victim had last been seen with, Rick McHugh. The 24-year-old had just moved to Rochester three weeks before the incident. A swift trial was made and they found McHugh guilty of the crime, as the prosecution argued that he and Corchesney who was known to family and friends as Lulu, had a verbal altercation at the apartment of the accused. He then murdered her, after which he drove her body in his pickup truck, before ultimately leaving it at the dump site. As a result, he was then sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. However, in 1988, almost three years after the trial, one of the jurors came out with a rather shocking declaration. This jury member said that there could have been a mistake made during the trial as he felt that not everyone had fully grasped the evidence that was presented. McHugh, who had been insisting on his innocence, was granted a retrial in 1992 based on the misconduct of one of the jurors. What followed was a hailstorm of more information coming from new witnesses who had just come forward. From the discrepancies and the time specifics, to the confusing tire track details, the case just got more and more baffling. Adding to the conundrum was the fact that another suspect could be involved in the killing, as during the reinvestigation, detectives found reasons to believe that the brother of Korchesny's fiance could somehow be involved. Unfortunately, the court could not directly link the person to the crime, given the alibis presented. After a month of intensive deliberations on February 26, 1993, a jury then declared McHugh not guilty of killing Lulu. 
He was released from custody after having served five years in detention. But meanwhile, this case still remains unsolved. No one else was ever charged with the murder, and this left everyone, especially the police, stumped with a dilemma. Did they just exonerate a killer, or was there another real perpetrator? Only time can tell if Lulu's mysterious death will be given closure after more than 30 years since it happened. So that's going to do it for our podcast today, guys. If you enjoy what you listen to, please don't forget to rate and share this content with your friends. If you're looking for more intriguing and fascinating stories, you know you got to go check out Everytown. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you in the next one.